Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen. As Matt mentioned on Friday, in honor of Memorial Day week, uh, we are running a series of interviews here. Our first interview uh, for the day is a, an interview that fellow fool Brendan Burns conducted in New York City with uh, Zillow CEO Spencer Raskoff uh, just last month. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, fools. I'm Brendan Burns, and I'm joined today by Spencer Raskoff, who is the CEO of Zillow. Thank you for your time. It's great to see you again. Thank you. Good seeing you, Brandon. So I wanted to ask you first about, there have been a couple questions from investors that says, maybe Zillow thinks itself that the stock is overvalued. One, we had the secondary, the offering back in August, which, you know, if you're raising capital, it might be more advantageous to do that when the valuation is higher. And also there's been some insider selling, uh, directors, executives. Um, what do you say to that? Is that a valid concern? I, I don't think it's a valid concern. Um, you know, we're so early relative to the size of this opportunity. Just to give you one data point, our premier agent business, which is how we earn most of our revenue, last quarter was at about $150 million annualized. Mm -hmm. And agents spend around $10 billion a year in total advertising. So we have 1.5% penetration of the opportunity just in that business. Mm -hmm. So um, it feels very, very early to me. I think to the extent that you ever see executive or, or a director selling, mm -hmm. it's part of just sort of normal diversification, but it's not indicative of, of anyone's belief in the long-term potential mm -hmm. of the company. How about the offering? How much of the valuation was a consideration there versus going another route for raising capital um, debt? Well, we did a, a pretty small IPO at about $20 a share, mm -hmm. and then we did a follow-on, I think, in the low 40s, and then another follow-on in the low 80s. Um, and, and so I kind of look at those three offerings as sort of a, a weighted average larger IPO. Um, you know, it was a way to raise capital. Um, we're now very well financed, over $400 million in cash. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I don't see any other financing needs on the horizon. Sure. How about rentals? Let's talk about it. I know when we spoke last time, you guys had just started to monetize rentals. Could you give us a sense of how that's going and the overall strategy there? Rentals is a huge opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. We have about 13 million people that use Zillow every month to shop for a rental. So we're by far the largest rental audience on the web, and we just started to monetize it just a couple of months ago. And so now we're charging multifamily, so people that operate large apartment buildings, we're charging them to list on Zillow and Hotpads. Um, it's very early. We've told investors to sort of benchmark the growth of our rentals business relative to the growth of our, growth of our mortgage business which took about three years to get to a $10 million revenue run rate. Mm -hmm. um, and we think we can do it faster in rentals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so talk about more of that overall size. You said you can do it faster in rentals and also how Street Easy fits into that because, you know, Street Easy has the rental aspect as well. And what does it look like as far as monetizing it? Is the same type model? Uh, well, the monetization for multifamily rentals on Zillow and Hotpads right. is paid inclusion. So we charge a couple hundred dollars per building per month to be listed on Zillow and Hotpads. Uh -huh. um, StreetEasy is a, is a slightly different animal. Um, we acquired StreetEasy in the late summer of 2013. Uh -huh. um, we have so much potential at StreetEasy. And actually, we took a, a step backwards in terms of monetization recently. Uh -huh. We made it free. Right. We removed the paywall. And we did that because we're following the Zillow playbook with StreetEasy, which is to say, we're making it free, um, we've got a great product, and now we're taking it to mobile. So StreetEasy has so much potential on mobile, only about a third of their usage of StreetEasy's usage is mobile, whereas about two-thirds of Zillow's usage is mobile. So we're building out dedicated StreetEasy apps across all major mobile platforms. Mm -hmm. um, we're improving uh, email marketing and search engine optimization, as well as making it free. And we think that by following those tenets of the Zillow playbook, we can grow the StreetEasy audience quite significantly. 
and then we'll focus on monetization. So mm -hmm. the Street Easy, for Street Easy, monetization is not a near-term priority. Mm -hmm. Audience growth is the priority. Right. How about Zillow overall? Is it fair to say that audience growth is still the number one priority? Uh, audience growth is the number one, two, and three priority mm -hmm. for Zillow. Um, advertisers follow audience. And if you look at any other media category, online or offline, eventually ad dollars flock to where the audience is. And it, take the real estate category, for example. In, um, in two newspaper towns, Whichever newspaper had 60 or 70% circulation ended up with 80 or 90% of the newspaper classified mm -hmm. revenue. And we think the same thing's going to happen in real estate. So audience primacy is key. Mm -hmm. So looking at your background, you're a co-founder of Hotwire, which was sold to Expedia, which I think is interesting because, you know, it's kind of the model where the travel agent is disrupted by Hotwire. Mm -hmm. But now with Zillow, we're looking at it where you guys work with the real estate agent. Some say there might be some parallels there. Could you talk about why that's different, why you work with the real estate agent with Zillow, whereas, as opposed to kind of disrupting them going straight yeah. from a buyer to seller? So travel is a commoditized product, and therefore the, the role of the intermediary was not really necessary. The intermediary, the travel agent, was able to be replaced by the Internet. Mm -hmm. Real estate is totally different. Real estate is, uh, the real estate transaction is, is complicated, it's emotional, it's um, expensive, it's infrequent. All of these things lend themselves to an intermediary, to mm -hmm. the importance of an intermediary. Um, not unlike the role investment bankers play in IPOs or in adv advising on, on the sale of one's company. Um, so there will always be a real estate agent in the transaction mm -hmm. because for most consumers, it's just too important and too expensive and too infrequent and complex to screw up. Mm -hmm. And so they need an agent. Now, what is changing, though, and what Zillow is undoubtedly um, accelerating the change, is what type of agent can be successful in 2014. It's mm -hmm. quite different than the type of agent that was successful before the internet. Mm -hmm. So today, a good agent has to be an expert negotiator. Um, they have to uh, be a great marketer. They have to be um, a, a, have a deep local expertise. They have to be um, a, a transactional guide to a client. Whereas in you know before the internet, a great agent just had to be an information gatekeeper, someone who had access to the secret database that you and I didn't have access to. Right. Those days are long gone. Now we have access to all the same information as a real estate agent mm -hmm. because of mobile devices and the internet. Um, and so the role of the agent is changing. Mm -hmm. So you think even looking out over decades that the real estate agent still has a role? I mean, we're talking Definitely. about big time commissions here, five, six percent. You look at other countries, Europe especially, the median uh, commission is lower. Is there anything that can change over the longer, longer term, or do you think this will literally decades to come? There, there, there always has been, and there probably always will be some small part of the market, maybe ten to twenty percent mm -hmm. at most, that's transacted in al through alternative means, whether it's be whether it be through auctions or or consumer to consumer. Um, but the bulk of real estate transactions in the U.S. will always be professionally assisted. Mm -hmm. um, there will always be commissions collected in that transaction. Um, and uh, you know, I, I view it quite a bit like healthcare. You know, the, the internet has empowered all of us as patients to now be able to have access to the same information as doctors, and mm -hmm. we can self-diagnose. But still, most people go to the doctor when something is concerning them. And the role of the doctor has changed. Now the doctor has to help you interpret what you see on the internet. It's no, you know, the, the old role of the doctor used to be they were the ones with the secret access right. to with information. The yeah, with the, literally with the secret book of all the names of the diseases and all the drugs and all the side effects. Well, right. it's called the internet. Yeah. That is available for everybody. The role of the doctor is now to help mm -hmm. you interpret all the stuff you see on mm -hmm. the internet. The role of the real estate agent is changing, but they're still every bit as much in the transaction as they were before. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about mobile. 65% of your traffic is coming from mobile. That's 
you know, for a lot of media companies, that would scare them because, you know, advertising, advertising is so difficult on mobile. But I don't think that's the case for you guys. Could you talk about the different dynamics there and how you guys really monetize mobile? Well, real estate is the perfect use case for mobile. It's when you're driving around looking at a home or walking around looking at a neighborhood mm -hmm. that you want access to real estate information when you're untethered. And so real estate is, is just perfectly suited for, for mobile information consumption. Um, we have been the beneficiary, though, not just of usage migration to mobile, but also monetization. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a real estate listing on a smartphone on Zillow, you're three times more likely to contact an agent as when you're looking at the same listing on the desktop. So we benefit from the usage migration, but also the monetization migration, because ultimately that's how we get paid, mm -hmm. is when we connect a consumer with a real estate agent. Right. Uh, let's talk about some advertising you guys are doing. $65 million this year versus about $40 million last year. A lot of that going to TV. Could you talk about the overall strategy there and TV in particular? I'm sure a lot of people have seen those ads. Uh, yeah, the TV, but just generally advertising for us has been very effective. In 2013, we spent around 35 or $40 million, mm -hmm. and we tripled the size of our lead over the competition. Mm -hmm. So we really ran away with the category in terms of audience growth last year. And based on the results we saw last year, we're nearly doubling our investment in 2014. Mm -hmm. and, and as I mentioned, it's because advertisers follow audience. We see this in every category, right. whether it's in search marketing, when with Google has query dominance, they have 65% query share in the US, but they have almost all of the search advertising budget in the US. Um, YouTube has the bulk of video consumption and mm. therefore they get the bulk of video advertising. Advertisers follow audience, we need the audience leadership and mm. advertising for us helps amplify our audience leadership. What's the rough breakdown in advertising? I don't know if you're willing to share that or not. Uh, between online and offline? Right. Um, it really changes. We go into the year with kind of a with, with a budget, but then during the course of the year, based on what we're seeing, we adjust. Mm -hmm. um, so we may dial up online marketing, or online search engine marketing, and dial down mobile acquisition, or mm -hmm. dial up uh, TV and dial down uh, other forms of marketing. Mm -hmm. Kind of through the course of the year, as we see the market dynamics changing. When it comes to marketing for a company like Zillow, that's very data based. Is it more difficult? Um, as far as television goes, where you're not necessarily looking exactly, and you can't pinpoint the leads, and you can't pinpoint exactly the kind of revenue that you're bringing in. It's a from great that. question. Um, television is harder to harder to um, harder to quantify uh, mm -hmm. than than online media for sure. Um, for us, though, our brand is still so new, and we're still in the brand building stage that we're comfortable with the inherent ambiguity in television advertising. Mm -hmm. You can measure it, but it is harder to measure than direct response advertising online, for example, where mm -hmm. you, know, you buy a click from Google and you know exactly what happens to, to that user downstream. TV is yeah. a little bit more amorphous, um, but, um, but I'm comfortable operating in that, in that environment. Mm -hmm. How about overall at Zillow, innovation? You're still a relatively young company, up and coming company, but you also have the lead in your industry. How does Zillow innovate, and what kind of areas can we see Zillow innovating in the future? Um, well, we're about to cross a thousand employees, so we we um, are you know up from about five or six hundred a year ago. So we're adding headcount at a pretty rapid pace. Um, the way we stay innovative is by keeping our product teams very small. So um, anytime a team gets bigger than ten or so people. We reduce the scope of that product team, mm -hmm. and we cut the size down. And so we're constantly sort of redividing the sizes of these product teams, so they can stay pretty anonymous. Uh, sorry, pretty autonomous, yeah. not anonymous, um, <laughs> autonomous, and um, um, and have um, uh, just be self-contained, and therefore can be nimble. The, mm -hmm. the, our product team is like a. Uh, a confederation of about 15 different startups. Mm -hmm. And one startup might focus on um, 
our local data. Another might focus on the listing pages. Another focuses just on the iPhone app. And so each of them have different code branches and they can innovate and, and, and ship new features mm -hmm. um, pretty autonomously and, and that allows us to stay innovative. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be testifying in front of the Congressional Internet Caucus Advisory Committee. I wanted to make sure I got that right. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Uh, about open data. Could you talk about how that impacts Zillow? Sure. Uh, well, Zillow is a data company. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what we've done is we've turned on the lights in this dark room where consumers didn't used to have access to information about real estate, and now we've made it readily available. So it is deep in our DNA uh, that consumers ought to have access to information that when, when lights are turned on in dark rooms, then great things happen. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and kind of the, the it, it, information empowers people to make smarter decisions. Mm -hmm. So for us, for example, that means um, the importance of being able to see what everyone's house is worth, being able to see what the taxes are in everyone's home, being able to see what everyone paid for their houses, uh, not on a, on a name basis, but on an address basis. The reason those things are important is they're the, the foundation for an equitable property tax system. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason that we have a, a bias towards public, the, the right to ha for the public to have real estate information is because the underpinnings of our tax code are all based on property values. Therefore, in order to know that I'm not being unfairly taxed, I need to know information on what's happening in my real estate market right. and, you know, in my community. So, um, so Zillow is a big advocate of open data. We buy a lot of data from counties and from mm -hmm. other sources, and, uh, and we give it back to, to consumers, to homeowners, to Americans through the internet. Right. Uh, how about the housing market right now? What are Zillow's thoughts on that and mortgage rates also? Um, home values declined about 30% from the peak, and then they bounced back very quickly, about 20% off the bottom, almost overnight. Um, and that's where we are right about now. So mm -hmm. right now, home values are appreciating about 6% year over year. And we forecast over the next 12 months that it'll appreciate about 4%. So it's starting to slow. Mm -hmm. And the dynamic that is driving the housing market right now is negative equity. So around 20% of all mortgage holders in the U.S. have no equity in their home. And the reason that's relevant is it means they can't list their home even if they want to. Mm. So there's not much supply. There's limited listing inventory, but there's a lot of demand because mortgage rates are low and buyers were waiting, waiting, waiting for home values to bottom. And now that they see them moving up, buyers are trying to, trying to move in. And so uh, not enough supply, too much demand. That's what's driving home value appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, in most of the country, that corrects itself uh, because as home values increase, then more inventory comes online mm -hmm. and home builders build more inventory. Um, in Manhattan and in the Bay Area, right. those are two kind of anomalous markets where, um, firstly, they're geographically constrained mm -hmm. because there's, you know, in Manhattan there's only one place to go, which is up. And right. in the Bay Area, they're geographically constrained by certain, um, by the topography and, mm -hmm. and, the, um, and the geography of, of that area. And then, of course, Manhattan... And the Bay Area also have this odd, seemingly, um, you know, uh, the, the trees will only grow higher and higher kind of local economy. Right. Um, and, and that's what's driving home values in those two areas. And then, mm -hmm. of course, in Manhattan, you also have um, international buyer interest from Asia and from the Middle East and, and Eastern Europe. And that is driving the high end of the New York real estate market mm -hmm. kind of to the stratosphere. Yeah. How about mortgage rates? Because they're still pretty low historically. What, they what are. Think on that? So mortgage rates, uh, the 30-year fix is around 4.2%. A year ago, it was at 35 A year from now, we think it'll be about 5%. So mm -hmm. um, nearly another 100 basis points to go on the way up over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you take a very long-term view, that's still a very low mortgage rate. Right. I mean, a 30-year fix to 5%, our parents would be ecstatic exactly. to have been able to yeah. do that when they were buying their first houses. Um, but um, but off the bottom, it'll be you know 200 basis points higher than it was at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, 
that will hamper demand somewhat over the next 12 months. But um, you know, if you take the long-term view, again, they're still pretty low rates, mm -hmm. very low rates. And last question, for a Zillow investor watching out there, maybe three metrics that they need to keep an eye on for the next year or so coming up? Uh, well, advertisers follow audience. Right. So audience growth, especially on mobile, is critical to our future success. Um, uh, other key metrics would be um, uh, just mobile usage. Uh, I mean, the, the, the real estate consumer started offline by looking at newspaper classifieds to see mm -hmm. what's for sale. A couple of years ago, he moved online to look on the internet to see what's for sale. Now he's moved on to the smartphone. And whoever wins the real estate consumption, uh, uh, the consumption of real estate information on the mobile device, they will end up with most of the 20 to $30 billion in advertising revenue in and around the home. Hmm. Spencer Askoff, CEO Zill. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. Thank you. That is our show for today. Uh, we'll, we will be back tomorrow with an interview from Bud Sorensen. Uh, he's a board member at Whole Foods Market. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.